0: Welcome to Between the Gutters, the podcast where we talk about the stories within the panels. I'm your co-host, Drew, and with me, as always, is our other esteemed co-host,
1: Albert. Yo, yo, what's the haps, paps? How's everybody
0: doing today? I guess I'm just talking to you. Yeah, I not But I, I asked that question sure. as if I was expecting an answer from the audience. <laughs> from masses.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I, I wasn't sure if I should just placate you and, you know, feed into your delusion or if I should just try to correct you on the spot. But, you know, seeing as how you've addressed it, I'm just going to roll with it and I'm going to I'm going to answer your question in the best way that I can. Speaking for myself as myself, um, things are good and we're you know going to be covering our next episode today. We've mentioned it in last week's end, at the end of last week's episode. And what we're going to be doing is we're going to be discussing uh, a comic that is in our honorable mentions for the 25 top DC comics of all time, which is The New Frontier. That's right. DC,
0: The New Frontier by Darwin Cook. He was the writer and the artist. The book was colored by Dave Stewart and lettered by. Jared K. Fletcher was originally published in 2004 as a six-issue miniseries. It's been kept in print ever since. It's available in a variety of editions. I believe when they first collected it, there were two paperback collections, each collecting half of the story. And then there was eventually an absolute edition. Then there was a deluxe edition, which was just a smaller hardcover. Uh, and I, I think recently there was a a Black Label hardcover edition of it. At least I think it's hardcover. I could be wrong on that.
2: Mm-hmm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I actually read my copy off Hoopla. Um, you know, the digital library here in San Francisco. This is something that I've constantly mentioned on this podcast because I'm a big fan of Hoopla. It gives me access to a bunch of comics that i wouldn't normally have access to and you know i'm a we're both huge fans of the san francisco public library just as a whole so you know just a little bit of shout out and a little bit of love to the institution that keeps giving us access to comics (laughs) is
0: hoopla a national thing or is that
1: just san francisco
2: Mm,
0: i feel like it's a
1: local thing oh okay yeah because i think
0: I'm sure most local libraries have some kind of digital partnership to get uh, digital versions of books and comics and other media.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, They might go by different names. I don't, I can't speak for the quality of whatever their services are, but I will say that I'm, I'm content and I'm happy with the services that our library has given us and with the, sheer volume of reading material that they've offered me over the the years. Um, I've come to look at them as a mother of sorts, whom, whom whose teat I suckle at in order to sate my thirst and appetite for comics. If you consider
0: the library your mother, does that mean you consider all other library patrons, your brothers and sisters? Um, Is everybody no. who suckles In... at the teat of your mother <laughs> your brother and sister?
1: You know what? I'll, I'll go positive on this one. Let's say yes, because, you know, I, I do love the library, and if you also go to the library, and if you frequent it, and you appreciate it and love it, then you two are my brother in arms. But if you borrow books and you do not treat them well, if if ever you were to wipe a booger on a page in a comic or any book really, or if you were to leave some sort of sticky concoction of food or bodily fluid or whatever it may be, then you are no brother of mine. You ain't, You are no sister of mine. You you are dead to me. You are a bastard. Well said. Well <laughs> said. <laughs> you like that?
2: I do. I do, man.
0: I, I knew I would set you up to say exactly what I wanted you to say, which is why I had to ask you that
1: question. <laughs> you set them up i knock them down that's right <laughs> <laughs> yeah but that being said uh you know yeah. this this week's comic is uh the new frontier and um it's not something i own my own copy of uh but thanks to the the wonders of science and the generosity of hoopla i was able to read it and uh read it on my trip to Hawaii actually actually I finished it on my trip to Hawaii I'd read it prior to that in preparation for this episode Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah so well let's let's start with this then um do you do you have any recollections or early memories of the new frontier when it first came out and what your thoughts of it were at the time
0: yeah I actually bought this when it was being serialized so I didn't really know too much about Darwin Cook other than the fact that I liked his art from the random bits of things I had seen from him in the past, mainly Catwoman. And I also knew that he did the animation for the opening sequence to Batman Beyond. And that was always something that uh, I appreciated. You know, it's a very stylish opening with some great design sensibilities and just enough excitement and matches the music to really get you in the mood for futuristic cyberpunk teen Batman. (laughs) So I knew who he was. This was probably the biggest thing from him that I had read up to that point just because he was writing and drawing it. And even though he did that one Catwoman graphic novel, Selena's Big Score, you could tell right away that DC, The New Frontier, was going to be quite a bit more ambitious, not just in terms of page count, but also in terms of the breadth and scope of the overall story.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I believe each issue was, I want to say, 64 pages, like pretty thick issues. And it might have been bi-monthly book. I, I can't remember off the top of my head. But yeah, I I collected it uh as they as the issues came out. Really appreciated it and just found it something refreshing and different compared to a lot of the other stuff that was coming out from DC and Marvel at the time in terms of cape comics.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's uh that's a good recollection. I uh I appreciate you, you provided me with some information I didn't have. I didn't even know that he did the opening credit sequence to Batman Beyond. So Yeah, yeah. He had you, a uh, pretty
0: big career in animation because uh the story with Darwin Cook uh is that he he was always into in or I don't know always, but he was interested in getting into comics and uh he had submitted some stuff. DC I think either in the late 80s or early 90s and I think uh, he might have even had a short story published in some random anthology but -hmm. when he sent them a pitch uh, they didn't pick it up and then he also realized that it would be it was kind of tough to make a living uh, off comics at least for him at the time because he didn't like immediately break in so he ended up finding this uh, I think he worked in some kind of other graphic design jobs or maybe even advertising for a while, just something art related. And then eventually uh, he applied for a job uh, with, I guess it was Warner Brothers Animation and, you know, the studio, Bruce Timm's studio, when when they were making uh, those DC shows, because I think he also worked on Superman, the animated series. I'm not sure if he worked on Batman, the animated series, but definitely Mm. towards the later 90s. He was a part of their uh, of their team, and certainly by Batman Beyond, he was doing stuff uh, full force. Hmm. And then uh, I guess eventually, you know, because he was doing a lot of work there, he somehow had another chance to uh, pitch a story, or it was I think it was either that or an editor actually found his old pitch and then recognized his name from his animation. And then yeah. that's how we ended up. Uh, he ended up having that opportunity to do Batman, Ego.
1: Oh, nice, nice. Yeah. The thing with me for Darwin Cook is, it was a name I always recognized, and I think I knew that his art was his art was obviously good. He was obviously a skilled and talented man. But I guess I just, I guess it didn't help that he didn't have too many comics out there at the time uh you know that this came out so i you know he, he wasn't as i guess prolific as as a lot of your more like common comic book artists so you know like the quberts were just doing all kinds of stuff everywhere and yeah. maybe on some level that even helps him because by not having a whole lot of work in comics it really makes the few things that he de- did do pretty distinct and just jump out against everything else that's being produced. As far as his career path, the the way you described it, it it really does sound like, or to me, it feels like it's this story where on some level he was always connected with comics and he would always, no matter how far he veered away from it, in some way he would always come back to it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I (laughs) think so. Yeah. And it's, it's, I guess that's the power of comics, for you and the beauty of it is that if you're a true comics fan if you truly are a lover and appreciator of the craft of it then eventually you know i've heard this in other uh i've heard similar anecdotes uh about just people in their professions where uh they i remember i went to uh pixar and i was talking to one of the animators over there and he was telling me this story about how. You know everybody thinks that you just jump in feet first, and you know you you go to school, you jump in feet first and you get a job in animation just by being good or whatever. but what we're really looking for is people who have a variety of styles and life experience um and you know a signature that uh they can add to the medium overall and I feel like that's something that happened here, which was he. He tried to get into the industry. It didn't work out for him. You know, so he pursued things that were adjacent to comics. And eventually, um, due to the quality of his craft and uh, his talent, it, it all made its way back. And, you know, you could tell if he was a true lover of comics that he, given that chance came back to it he he chose to come back to come into comics because you know if if he worked in animation he could have very easily just went well i'm doing this now and i'm just gonna stick to that because it pays bills and i gets works Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. but uh yeah given the opportunity to go do comics he, he he decided to come back to his first love and I think we're all the better off for it because the works that we did get from him are pretty sensational. And it's unfortunate that we don't have more stuff from him uh, because unfortunately he passed, but the stuff that we did get is just wonderful. Yeah, totally. Yeah.
0: What was, what was the first uh, time you read some Darwin Cook
1: comics? Um, I think the first thing I ever read from him was Ego. Um, I can't really remember too much of it right now. Other, like the the main thing that I remember is just the art. and mm-hmm. And I think after that, for the longest time, he was someone who appeared in a lot of like magazines uh, you know i i don't remember if it was wizard or whatever solicitation i was following at the time but he was definitely a name that was making waves and you know someone who's just from snippets and bits and pieces someone i'd see around a lot yeah but i never really bought any of his stuff i never really um went out of my way to 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 read it And, and it wasn't as a slight to his work or anything, it was just, I had so much other things to read that I think in my you, mind, you were too it,
0: busy buying up Dan Jurgens' run on Thor every month.
1: <laughs> I don't regret that at all. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know, life just takes you places and sometimes you feel like eating garbage and you go eat garbage for a while. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, in my in the back of my mind i think i always told myself that oh yeah like this is an evergreen comic in dc's uh, stable of comics uh, you can tell that this was something that something like the new frontier was different than um you know court of owls or something mm-hmm. um, and in my mind it was always a matter of okay, I just have to go back to it at some point. Um, it wasn't something that I was going to lose track of. It was something that was always somewhere in the back of my mind to read. And eventually I did read it. And I, I mean, by the time we're doing this podcast, I'd say this might be the third time I've read it. Yeah. Okay.
0: When yeah. was the first time you read it? Not when it came out, but when it was completed?
1: Yeah. Like I, I it was maybe not immediately after it was completed, but I do remember reading it. Yeah. Um. After it was completed in a collected edition, I might have even read your copies. I don't really fully remember. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I will I was, say I hung
0: on to my issues for quite a while. Hmm. Probably. I think I did let you borrow those at some point. I Can't remember. Yeah, that was a while ago.
1: So many comics have exchanged hands between the two of us at this point that it's it's it just makes sense that we've lost track of everything that has occurred
0: yeah yeah i i still have a couple of your comics i borrowed from you like two years ago but don't worry man i know where they are you do <laughs> i don't even remember <laughs> <laughs> yeah i have your uh tom sholey Gobots comic <laughs> oh yeah 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 you do you should read that that's great <laughs> yeah yeah i will i will don't worry man I, i'll never steal a comic from you <laughs>
1: I'm not worried. I'm, I'm. Uh, if anything, giving, uh, you know, letting you read my comics. I know that you're a true connoisseur of comics. So, anything I pass over to you, you'll, you'll put your effort into just consuming it and to the best of your will and ability, mm-hmm. you'll, you'll make the most of it. And, uh, you know, they're not always going to be hits, but on, on an occasion where it's a miss, then, at, at least you tried and at the very least i can say even
0: if it's something that i borrowed from you that maybe i didn't love as much as you did i'll never
1: feel well, like i wasted my time yeah and i'll admit there have been times where i passed things over to you because i didn't know what to make of it so i was hoping that you reading it you'd be able to enlighten me on it and maybe point out something that i didn't see <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it. It honestly, it had. It would have to be something truly perplexing to me in, in order for me to like pass it over to you and be like, I like. I'll never. I, I. I would never tell you, hey, I didn't get this, and I want you to make sense of it. I'd just be like, hey, can you check this out? And then I'll just <laughs> wait for your response. <laughs> I feel like i've done the
0: opposite where i've read something that perplexed me and i was like dude albert i didn't understand this can you read this and
1: get confused alongside me oh yeah uh i can see that i can see that there were a couple of things that i'm pretty sure you passed over to me yeah i'm I'm thinking of something like there was that
0: one uh Shoot. John Nay Reber comic. Shadows Fall. Shadow Falls. Yeah, I remember that. There there was that one. There was uh, a Jamie Delano comic called War Without End. Do you remember that one?
1: Uh, That one was pretty bizarre. I don't even remember if I read it
0: now. (laughs) All I remember about it was that it was about a war between genders. Between man and woman. So, uh, there was a lot of uh, other stuff in it, but that's that's really all I remember because that story I think was a little too high above my intellectual capacity.
1: I see. Okay. Well, you're talking about it now, and I don't have any recollection of it all at all. So there's a chance I might have tried to read it, and I just gave up and gave it back to you. And <laughs> <laughs> I just kind of said, "Well, that was a book. It was comics. <laughs> it it was uh." uh a collection of pages with words and pictures, and it exists. Yes. <laughs> so there
0: we go. Do you remember what you first thought of the New Frontier when you read it? What was your initial impression of that work?
1: If I... Okay, I'm going to be perfectly honest with you, and, and I'll say that in my first reading of it honestly i i don't think i loved it but i think i was content with just saying it's a it's fine you know like it's it's undeniably a good looking comic because his art is just terrific but but in terms of the story i really didn't remember much from that from the first reading up till my third reading, uh, in that window of time, I I really didn't remember too much about it. Um, like here are the things, the elements of it that, oh okay, I yeah I, I would just remember bits and pieces. Um, but I guess the the heart or the meat of the content um, of what Darwin Cook was trying to articulate. Wasn't something that I I fully grasped or or maybe not even fully grasped. It was just something that didn't necessarily resonate with me at the time. Um, it was just I read it and I was like, oh okay, that was a fine enough story, and mm-hmm. I was content to just leave it at that. Um, you know, I didn't think I had like wasted my time or anything, but I just didn't feel any excitement or or love about it. And yeah, that's just kind of where I was for the longest time after reading it that, that first time. Um, but now, where sitting where I am, uh, the current version of me and having read it three times, I I can say that every time I've read it, I think my appreciation for it has grown a little more. And I've retained more of it with every reading. And yeah. Yeah they are just I definitely see what there is to appreciate about it and uh yeah it's 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 something that's worthy of being on the list for sure
2: Mhm mhm
1: yeah yeah that is uh, yeah it, it, it's funny because <laughs> uh Drew has this habit of um this is a, a newer habit but whenever we do these review uh podcast episodes he he does that steph curry thing where he looks up the haters and you know at half t- it's halftime and i'm gonna go to twitter i'm gonna look up what my haters have to say and i'm gonna use that to fuel my fire and that's what he does he's like before i do the podcast i'm gonna look up what the worst kind of people on the internet have to say about this and i'm just gonna i'm gonna feed off it i'm gonna eat their hearts <laughs> I'm just gonna spew mad hate about them when it's time to get on the episode.
0: <laughs> well, I was actually kind of disappointed that there were so few one-star reviews on Amazon. Really? Huh. Well, yeah. We're just really I mean, gonna considering have to pour it considering into the how many two guys total reviews it you did has. Send me. It, sorry, what
1: was that? We're just gonna have to pour our hate into the two guys that you did send me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, for the, all the number of reviews that the book has on Amazon. There's a startlingly small number of one and two star reviews. Yeah. So, and even the ones that See, we did get
1: weren't too impressive. They weren't. Even for bad reviews, they were pretty limp-wristed. They were yeah, flaccid. Totally impotent. It, yeah. It's 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 we're talking you know, uh, week-old bananas here. Just mushy. Maybe even like two week old, two week old bananas. Two-week-old bananas. Yeah, yeah. Let's go with that. Let's go with that. Yeah. Just are, mushy. And spotty and black. Just like straight of
0: black and brown. Yeah. 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 Like you don't want to even touch the peel. It's
1: gross. Yeah. I wouldn't even use that for banana bread because flies are popping out of it. Yeah. You disgust me. Uh Malaya A. Porter and (laughs) Lucy and Rich. (laughs) (laughs) That's their Amazon review names. Here, here. I'll read read the one-star review from Malaya A. Porter.
0: The title of the review is, Really? And here's what it says. Holy crow, that was boring. I'm sure people will say I missed the message or some such BS, but perhaps therein lies the problem. I don't read comics for the message. I read them for the action and the humor and horror. I don't need yet another medium to preach to me. I get enough of that from practically everywhere else. Perhaps if you're looking for a history lesson and ethics lecture wrapped up neatly in comic form, you'll enjoy it. Sure wasn't up my alley, but if you like that sort of thing, it'll be up yours. Smiley
1: face. Yeah. The thing about that review is... I mean, I think it's a really stupid take, but in addition to that, uh, there's something about the way he says, "Up yours at the end of it, where I just read that as this guy being this person, I don't even know who this is, but this person just being totally passive aggressive and wanting to you know try to get away to tell the people that do love it up yours without actually admitting that <laughs> they were actually you know contempt contemptuous of us, but no, I refuse to give him that uh that cover Malaya a Porter, you disgust me, you are fecal matter <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah i yeah, this is um this is a a sentiment that we hear a lot as 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 uh two people that you know read quite a few comics and you know drew more than I. This this is true of him more than I, but he certainly engages and interacts with more of you know com- the comics community than I do. Um, me, I that just means I I spend more time on Twitter than Albert does. <laughs> yes, yes, but you you're also you have your finger on the pulse of the that sort of thing, right? And me personally, I I'm a community of one. I care not for anyone. So <laughs> like, I'm constantly just in my own bubble because I've often found that the more I hear from people, the less I like them. <laughs> the more you hate them, you mean? Yeah, yeah I, there are. <laughs> and like you sending me one of these takes, this just from, um, you know, the peripheral uh observations that i've made of uh quote unquote comic book fans this seems to be one of the arguments that we hear a lot which is you know i don't want messages in my comics blah 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 and it's just i don't know if this person is uh part of any particular group but just the idea that that is their take their oversimplified take on 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 the subject just it's it's low-rent thinking from a low-rent human being yeah it's pretty pathetic This, this person has wasted organs like those those organs could have been donated to people that could have done so much more with their lives so you know those organs could have been donated to a cannibal society yeah somewhere out there there's a cannibal who's who has liver failure and this guy could have given him or him or her, that liver, and we are robbed of that cannibal because of him. I hate you. Exactly, exactly. Porter, Malaya A. Porter.
2: (laughs) The Uh. other
0: thing is that just about any kind of art has some kind of message. Yeah. So if this person is whining about the message, it probably means that he or she doesn't agree with the message. Because whatever message Darwin Cook put in this work, it's not ham fisted or anything like that. It's it's not like it really isn't like he's preaching to the audience or anything. He's just telling a story.
2: Yeah.
1: But I will also admit it's not particularly it's not particularly subtle either. It's there. It's obvious, I'd say. But yeah.
0: Yeah, there's an obvious message to his work. They're just it's just not. One of those preaching messages where
1: he's exactly really hammering, exactly hammering you over the head with it. This isn't a comic where Superman goes out there and says, Uh, oh, but if I were only just not a man, for I am the weaker gender. How dare I, you know, uh, <laughs> use my male toxic masculinity uh, and, you know, yeah, there's nothing like it, that hoisted upon the 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 peoples of this planet." I should hang my head in shame. For shame. <laughs>
0: I mean, uh, there's definitely political material in this comic. Yeah. I feel like the fact that it's titled The New Frontier and yeah, how the final issue quotes from JFK's John F. Kennedy speech. Yeah. Like that's that's obviously there, but yeah. I think If you're reading the comic, it should be fairly evident that Cook isn't trying to push. He's not trying to turn you into a Democrat.
1: Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) These are just things that he believes. And like, these are the things that inspire him. And that's what he wants to write about. And if you read it and you're just like, John F. Kennedy was a Democrat. How dare he? I I refuse to accept this as a piece of work. Well, you know what? Like in the larger scheme of things, um, that's not what this is about.
0: <laughs> it's it's really not. And there's even yeah. stuff in the back matter of the hardcover edition where Cook addresses that a little bit. And and you know it, he even says that he d- that speech isn't there because of some great deep seated admiration for JFK necessarily. He like he acknowledges that JFK. Was a flawed person and and uh, it's not his cook's use of the speech and and the phrase in the title isn't meant it's to the be things that
1: that speech represented
0: more than it's a, exactly what it's about, it actually is exactly it's about what the speech yeah. represented than what it, than it is about actually trying John to F. promote
2: <laughs> jfk <laughs> yeah exactly.
1: exactly yeah yeah so And, you know, for the kind of people who, again, this is kind of soapbox time, but... How dare you have a message, Albert? (laughs) Who are you you to try and give us propaganda? Here's my message. I wish you were standing here right in front of me. I would put my thumb in your eye. How's that for a message? (laughs) (laughs) I would piss on your shoes. (laughs) And then make out with your mother. And then I'd make out with your mom. (laughs) Heck, I might be spiteful enough to make out with your dad. <laughs> I don't even swing that way. I'm just willing to do it, just, just, <laughs> just because spying. I'm petty. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, what was I saying? Even the people who who look at something that maybe doesn't obviously have a message in its viewing of it, like, well, let's let's take something super like i don't know let's take something like spawn or something like even if you just strip it down to its bare essentials it's it's still about good versus evil like that's still something right the idea is that Is that what spawn is about? <laughs> I mean i'm assuming that he's beating up evil people like that's kind of fundamental to most cape comics if if you consider spawn a cape comic it's probably 90% cape yeah 10% turd. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if Let's just say this. If spawn was a Snickers bar, I probably wouldn't allow it to be for sale uh, for general consumption for the amount of turd that is in spawn. <laughs> I would probably agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah, think so. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> Yeah. So again, even I just—that's my personal take on it. I mean, it's it's no different than what you just said, which is every comic has a message. But even the ones that they point to where they're like, "There's no message in this." Well, I'm pretty sure, you know, evil should be beaten and defeated is a message. So. <laughs> uh, so the eat other, your hat.
0: <laughs> the other message you could take away from Spawn is that it's a good idea to make a deal
1: with the devil. Yeah. The other other message is that you know you can make crappy comics and they'll sell yeah that's the meta textual message for sure
0: <laughs>
1: yeah yeah you uh, do you have anything else to say or you want to go are you good to go into like a brief synopsis of the story
0: before the synopsis one more thing I'll say about the new frontier and my uh experience with it is that it's something that I too have read multiple times uh even when the issues were coming out I, I don't think I reread every issue before the latest issue came out every time but I definitely it definitely was something that I was rereading issues uh as it was being serialized and then by the time I got the 6th issue you know I, I I read that and then I sat down and then reread the whole thing from the beginning when it was finally done. And I I'd say that the story overall was never something that tr- truly blew me away. Like it wasn't necessarily a story that that just grabbed me by the collar and yanked me around compelling me to really sink my teeth into it. I think mm-hmm. it was something that I just liked for various moments in the story like there were like every issue has at least a couple moments that either make me smile or make me ponder something mm, or just mm. look really nice and they're just evocative yeah. moments you know like there's there's a a craft to it all and and the storytelling craftsmanship to his drawing style and his pacing and, and everything associated with telling a story is just top notch, even though like the actual plot doesn't necessarily grab me. yeah. Like there was yeah. so- still something about this comic that just made me decide to reread it uh, multiple times. Cause I had those issues, definitely read those issues through at least two or three times. And then, Mm-hmm. Uh, bought the hardcover when they finally released the hardcover. And I think for this podcast, this is probably at least the second time I've read my copy, if not the third. And it's also something that I fairly often pull off the shelf just to flip through and look at look at the pictures. Mm-hmm. So it, I think it's something... like Overall, I, I'd probably say this work is something that I like more for the art than the actual plot or story even (laughs) Mm -hmm. but there's just something about it that uh is compelling and every time I do read it I feel like I'm getting something new out of the experience like the first time Mm -hmm. I read it I was just really enjoying the the moments between the characters that I liked you know like I, I really enjoyed I forget if it was issue two or three, but there's a moment early on when when Batman first meets Martian Manhunter and gives him this threat in Martian Manhunter's apartment. Like, that was a moment that that I just really relished. Uh, You know, there's other moments like the introduction of Hal Jordan when he was a kid. Like, I thought that was a really finely executed little sequence and a great drawing of young Hal. Like there, there's just so many different moments throughout that that always stood out. And then uh, as the years would go by, I'd reread it and find something mo- that was of interest from a different angle that I hadn't really been thinking about the first time. You know, like the political aspects of the story, and mm. uh, even even things like the the speech at the end when when they quote JFK. Like that wasn't something that I necessarily thought too hard about when I first read it when I was younger but when I got older I was like oh that is pretty interesting and you know I'd go look up information about his speech and things like that so
1: I will say it's a great speech yeah it is it is it's a very stirring speech and like and sorry to interrupt you but um you know I, I just had that thought where like I remember I do remember after the first time I read it I did go on YouTube just to listen to Kennedy give the speech in that moment. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Same here. Yeah. It's just one of those things that when you read it on the page, it kind of motivates you to, to look up the historical context of the, of the real thing, you know? Yeah. 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 I think that's a good thing, you know, like different books kind of inspire you to, to learn more about, the actual world.
1: Yeah.
2: You don't
0: always yeah. get that in Marvel and DC comics.
1: Yeah. I never read Spawn and like was motivated to become a Satanist. <laughs> I never decided to pursue the devil to see the if he would make a deal with me, giving me, you know, the uh, the skin texture of a hot dog. <laughs> <laughs> a rotten hot dog at that a a, a hot dog that was overcooked in the microwave you know the kind where it overheated and the skin around the casing of the sausage burst and you just see the the swelling and the little fleshy inside parts (laughs) and it's got all that meat sweat (laughs) (laughs) pretty nasty yeah yeah spawn is pretty gross
0: But we are not here to bury Spawn as we normally do anyway. We are here to extol the virtues of DC, the New Frontier. So how about I get to the synopsis for everybody before we start our our dive into discussing the comic in detail? Synop away. Okay. I will synopsize it.
1: (laughs) Not even a word. (laughs) I will not be constrained by words that exist. Exactly. (laughs) I'm just going to read the back
0: cover summary from the hardcover. Here it is. Welcome to 1950s America. The land of promise and paranoia, of glittering cities and segregated slums, of dizzying scientific progress and simmering Cold War conflict. A land without heroes. The masked mystery men who fought for freedom in the Second World War have been outlawed. The soldiers and spies conducted top secret missions into the unknown, now work in the shadows. And those icons who do still fight on, Superman, Wonder Woman, Batman, operate under hidden agendas and dueling ideologies. Yet this America needs its heroes more than ever. With darkness gathering on the horizon once more, only a bold new generation of adventurers, young, daring, and dedicated to the better angels of our nature, is equal to the challenge of the new frontier. So that's the back cover blurb for the hardcover edition. I guess if I were to summarize the story or synoptize it, (laughs) Synopify it? Synopify it? If I were to give my own synopsis... Synopify, Drew! Synopify! (laughs) I would say that this is Darwin Cook's take on the transition period between DC's Golden Age and Silver Age. And that's really what it is. So it, it takes the kind of war oriented style heroes that were popular in dc's golden age along with their earlier uh, superheroic counterparts and kind of brings them into the silver age and shows you like the birth of this new kind of optimism and hope that sort of characterizes that time period and he does it in a way where he uses real dates and real people occasionally to kind of populate his world and the years that the dc characters were originally introduced in the silver age like he uses those dates to kind of act as a i guess a guideline for the dates in his story as well so pretty much everything in the story takes place from about 1945 or so through
1: early
2: 1960s yeah yeah
1: yeah that's a solid um that's a solid synopsis of (laughs) of of the new frontier um it's it's not some it's it's not the most original idea on the face of it we've seen it a couple of different times i feel especially in the dc universe where it feels like a large part of their time and energy is spent on <laughs> reconciling a lot of their existing mythology so that it's, quote unquote, streamlined. But I will say this is definitely one of the better uh, versions of that that we we eventually get to see coming out of DC. Plus, um, the
0: other thing that elevates this work over others is that it doesn't actually try to contextualize the continuity of their yeah. comics universe it's yeah its own thing it stands alone there's nothing that you have to know in order to penetrate the depth of the story and it doesn't do anything to connect to any other modern comics it's just its yeah. own story
1: yeah absolutely i i totally agree with that it, because it it doesn't feel i feel like with a lot of those comics it they lead with the fact that yeah, we're 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 trying to take these sparse and various details and we're going to try to make them make sense and you just feel the amount of effort and energy that's put into making it quote make sense, right? Like this is why Batman this is why Batman can be as old as he is and have four <laughs> different Robins or whatever, right? Yeah. But this this comic really doesn't it's not the focus of it, the focus of it is just to tell a good story, and it just happens to clean up those details along the way. you know it's not it's not its primary effort isn't see, this all makes sense now. It's not sitting around trying to um, fix the jungle Jenga pieces of continuity so that it can be presented as this one cohesive unit. Mm -hmm. it's just really focused on telling a good story so yeah it's good i dig it yeah you want to go into our you want to break it down for us should we start with that yeah okay
2: how do you want to break it down
1: well as usual you know our four criteria that we have submitted to our wise comics gurus we have our craft our originality our impact and its ability to withstand the test of time and we're going to go over these criteria and apply them to this uh to the new frontier and see whether i mean why it makes muster for us sound good sounds good so let's let's get into the craft of it first of all and i i do think that this book in particular is one where Uh, You know, there's different ways of, uh, I guess, interpreting craft here, but I I would say in one of the most obvious ways that the craft of this book is undeniably um, high, uh, just in the the style and the look and the art of it, you know, Mm -hmm. like Darwin Cook, just on his own, is just someone who is really unmatched by a lot of artists um especially if you compare him to other comics at the to- at 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 this period of time i mean there are definitely good comics artists around uh in this period but none quite had the the look of a darwin cook comic it really felt like something special and something different and something unique to the point where like i was saying earlier um you know his art is we have so few Darwin cook comics that it feels like it's a shame that we didn't get more of his art, but it really just makes the art that we do have just that much more precious, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I
0: I think there's a decent amount of Darwin cook comics. Like he, he's got a pretty decent sized body of work. That's true. For the amount of time that he was not comics.
2: Yeah. It ain't. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. He,
0: but, um, I guess he didn't really seem, other than his Parker comics, he, I don't think he really had any really big runs on something, or I guess he did yeah. like 11 or 12 issues of The Spirit. That was, that was pretty big. But a lot of this other stuff he did was shorter stories or even just one-off issues or a few issues here and there of something. Yeah. Uh. He also did a ton of covers too.
1: Yeah. I mean, so that's that's the thing about that is from an artist's perspective uh and I've I've read this a few times in interviews or not not interviews, but just anecdotally uh, I've I've heard that uh unfortunately comics doesn't pay that much uh in terms of page rate. So for a lot of comics creators or comics artists they once they get established if if it's at all possible there are quite a few of them who just decide to move on to doing covers because well obviously because the cover is the first thing that people see and it's it's the thing that grabs people's attention but uh i'm pretty sure what they get paid for the cover is maybe not necessarily more than the entirety of their work of all the interiors in a comic, but I think when you take into account the amount of time and energy and effort that they have to put into all of the pages and what they get back compared to what they get for just doing one cover, it's more economical and more worth it for them to do covers so mm-hmm. um I don't know that that was necessarily the the case for Darwin Cook or what you know what he took into account for when for why he would do all those covers um. But you know it's it's definitely something to take into consideration um as to why we don't see more interiors from him and and like you said, he did end up doing uh you know comics for the the Parker comics where he did all the interiors for those, and that was something that if he told me that was a passion project on his part, I'd believe him, yeah, or I'd believe you, yeah,
2: yeah,
0: I'm pretty sure that was a passion project he. He uh spent a good amount of time on those comics and they're they w I think they were the first comics that were the first uh extraneous st- stories or adaptations of those stories because I don't think uh yeah. Richard Stark had really uh Wanted or had any real desire for other people to to do those? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I I could be misremembering
1: the details well, there, but yeah. Well, I mean, you you bring up an interesting. I think this is a good. Uh, section to kind of pick apart a little bit. So the thing about Parker is, um, it's a adaptation of a crime noir sort of series Mm -hmm. and yeah you know uh, and yeah i'll put that out there i'm not too familiar with the books but that's at least my understanding of it right and the thing about the books or uh yeah the thing about the books or or what he what uh darwin cook brought to the books was he he was able to turn them into comics that fit his personal aesthetic which was that sort of what that noir deco art style uh, that that you associate with noir uh, pulp fiction sort of comics, mm-hmm. and I do think that that's a style that we would see over and over again from Darwin cook so if if we were to describe Darwin Cook's art to those of you listening, that gives you sort of a starting point and an idea uh, of what his art looks like um, I think. For those of you who don't read comics, the closest thing that I can point to, uh, and you mentioned it yourself, Drew, was uh, something like Batman: The Animated Series. Uh, we don't know if, again, we're not a hundred percent sure what his level of contribution, if any, was to that series, but you definitely see the the parallels between the look in Batman: The Animated Series and um, Darwin Cook's art overall. Uh, I'd say. His art's a little more sophisticated than that because he, especially in New Frontier, because he gets to do more with it. Uh, but yeah, it's 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 if you can imagine that art style in your head, you'd know. i I'm assuming that you, as our listeners, have some sort of appreciation for Batman the animated series. Because uh, if not, you know. I'm gonna a have to kick someone's head in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 You have any thoughts on his art, Drew?
0: Yeah. I'd say there's a, at least his art style in The New Frontier uh, has a lot of thick, bold ink lines. And you can definitely see the animated series kind of style or flavor in the use of shadows and probably even the way he draws faces. I think what you were saying earlier about how the art here feels more sophisticated than his cartoon art, it's probably because it's a comic, you know? So you can afford to be a little bit more detailed and have more more shading in different places. Whereas with animation, you don't always want to be too detailed because then it becomes hard to animate because people have to draw all those details every single frame and that's not really feasible when you're trying to do uh, a weekly cartoon just based on what i know uh, about animation so with with comics he is able to afford that extra detail and, and and attention to each individual panel and drawing one mm. of the things in The New Frontier, going back to discussing the specific craft of it all, one thing that I uh, really appreciated, and it just stands out from the very beginning and throughout the comic, but his use of the three-tier grid is mm. kind of an interesting choice because I feel like there I can't think of too many comics off the top of my head that consistently stick with that type of layout. I mean, obviously yeah. there are some pages here and there where he does a, a full-page splash or he'll have uh, like two-thirds of the page act as one splash or he might break up one of the tiers into two or three panels. But for the most part, it's just these, every page is like a three-tier, pan, uh, three-tier grid and it, mm-hmm. it does lend itself to a type of widescreen, sort of storytelling because all the shots tend to be wide yeah. and it feels like something that you could see in uh, a movie or an animation
1: yeah it flows really well i'm looking at the book right now and i'm just kind of flipping through the pages on hoopla and you know just from a a reading experience from page to page it's it's got very good flow uh, and it helps you know having those three tier grids for 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 that experience so yeah i i dig it i dig it yeah maybe maybe that says something about me because i'm i'm kind of a lazy reader sometimes but not not to say that the the art or the book is like meant for lazy readers but it's it, (laughs) it certainly helps yeah yeah you'd rather have that than a page with like where I'm constantly panels. just moving my head around and jerking my <laughs> jerking my neck. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, I was also yeah. going to say that the artwork is the thing that really jumps out to me. Yeah. It's it's just really appealing. It kind of reminds me like it's definitely his own unique style, but you can see the different artists that have influenced him. You can mm-hmm. see bits of jack kirby in it you can see some alex toth you can see some bruce tim there's a way that he draws the characters with a lot of warmth and energy yeah and the way that he shades characters but he's also able to vary up his styles too like he doesn't do it a whole ton in this book but there are certainly moments here and there where he does something different like there's a scene uh a flashback scene. It's, let me see. In the hardcover, it's on pages two ten and two eleven. Mm-hmm. But it's a little flashback when John Jones opens up the that ancient book and he reads about the Viking prince. And then when Cook draws that scene, it almost looks like this Joe Hubert kind of style uh, of art when he's doing this flashback within the book hmm. so it stands out uh compared to the rest of it yeah so, yeah there's little little tricks that he does and all the character designs are pretty much rooted in that era so like when you have batman starting out he's in his golden age outfit where the bat ears look kind of odd compared to how they look today and he's got the purple gloves so uh, things like that are are interesting and you know Superman, his his uh, S logo on his chest. It's got the the black the background. The small shield. <laughs> yeah, well, it, yeah. it's got the the black background behind the S, you know. So okay, okay. it definitely looks like the older version of Superman. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I I really like how he draws, man. It's it's just uh like really well paced and yeah. visually the aesthetics are are pleasing to me cuz that's the kind of yeah. that is the kind of art that I really like now and there are people who are active in comics now who whose work kind of uh, reminds me of his work and and I sort of gravitate towards that I feel yeah. like like the stuff that he did uh Yeah I, I I would guess that he left an impact in terms of influencing people, because I I think that there are a decent amount of artists
1: who kind of
0: continue to work in his in in a similar kind of aesthetic.
1: Absolutely. I I would wholeheartedly agree with that. Um, The other thing I was going to say
0: about the craft that really stands out is the sheer ambition of it all, because this is a massive kind of story where he takes the entire DC superhero universe and, you know, he takes it from a certain historical point and he tries to tell a big story. And and basically the, the big plot is there's this sentient island that might be, I'm not sure if it's uh, an alien or just something occultish, but there's this sentient island that starts out in the Pacific from the very beginning of the story and it ends up becoming this force that threatens to basically devour humanity as we know it and all the heroes it it's the thing that it's the threat that draws all of the disparate heroes together and unites them into yeah, working together and forming the Justice League eventually. So uh <clears throat> maybe maybe the plot is simple but the the ambition in trying to tell a story with so many different characters a true ensemble cast
2: mm-hmm.
0: and to still keep everybody's individual stories and character plots engaging that that's something that takes quite a bit of juggling i think it's not easy to tell stories where you have so many characters and you're trying to figure out a way to draw everybody together or make everything tie in uh with uh by the time you get to the end you know it, there's something something that i respect about it because mm. it doesn't it it could have ended up becoming a really messy kind of story yeah but yeah it's not really that messy it's actually pretty easy to follow mm-hmm. and there aren't any moments where i really question uh why was this scene in there or why was that scene there you know it everything feels like it's purposeful and i think that's the strength of his plotting uh there are some bits of dialogue here and there that are pretty outstanding too
1: yeah yeah i i think so like for all of our gushing about his art um you know we mentioned earlier that uh in terms of the plot like i was actually kind of surprised to hear you say that you didn't think it was the most gripping um because i i certainly felt that way the first time around uh like again i didn't think it was a bad plot but it wasn't anything that really did much to differentiate itself from a lot of other things right so if Mm -hmm. Uh at the time when I first read it, it just felt like, well, it's it's a pretty standard plot, but the art's really great. But um I think like you and you probably caught this caught on to this a lot sooner than I did, but um right now, uh just even hearing you speak about it now, just you're right. The the idea that this could have been for for the size of the cast, it could have been a really messy story because there's just so much going on in terms of uh all the different characters and uh their experiences as 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 it's happening you know and Mm um and it makes me realize that had anyone else written this there's a chance that it could have been a super cluttered reading experience and it could have just felt like a lot of people were just just shoehorned into the story itself and you know the Writing it in a way where all of their uh, disparate sp- storylines eventually culminate in this one uh, unified storyline. That it could have very easily just been this thing where, well, I'm just gonna have to Deus Ex my way into making this happen. And that isn't to say that, you know, what he did wasn't in in a way it was simple enough where makes it easier for you to just go oh, okay that's okay that's how it works that's fine you know um mm-hmm. uh, but i feel like anybody else would have tried and failed at trying to make that make sense by overcomplicating the situation or something um yeah so yeah it, it's it's something where viewing it viewing craft through that lens now um uh, viewing his storytelling ability through that lens it does make me realize that the plot and his writing did have more strength than I had realized. Um, I'd even say in terms of uh, the overall writing of it, the uh, the one thing that I'd throw in there uh, as an addition is, um, well, let me say this first. I I do feel like in the past, me and Drew tend to Uh, have gushed over a lot of comics where you know there's tough one-liners or something that sounds really good or whatever Um, and you know that's just the sort of thing the sort of stuff that we just gobble up as people who enjoy comics Um, but reading this
0: maybe maybe we're like perpetual 14 year olds or something
1: well but that's the thing I think we well maybe you were there already because uh, you've you've got more appreciation or you had more appreciation for this book earlier on, but reading this now, uh, where I am at my age, um, I, I do find that his writing, it it might not necessarily be like splashy in a lot of pages or or in a lot of places, but it's definitely engaging. I was, I was keeping up with it. I, and and it has its moments too, you know, that, that whole scene where Batman's talking to Martian Manhunter and he's like, with the other one, I needed millions of dollars and years and years of research with all with you. All I need is book matches. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like it's, that, it's that's not, a good one liner. Yeah. It, it's, it's a fun one. It's a fun scene. Like that one line in the context of everything else in the context of what he drew and everything else, it, it elevates it, you know, and it's, it's good. It's good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, it might not be something like, you know, the authority or something where it's you know, just edgy or whatever, but it's still good, you know. And yeah, I I, totally. I appreciate it. I totally appreciate it for what it is. So in that sense, I do think we've grown up. Well, I've grown up. Uh, you've already been grown. You've been grown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah. Reading this again, there's it's not necessarily a dense comic but it's not not dense either there's definitely a lot to read and i did find that in reading it i didn't feel bored and i didn't feel like i was lost at any point um Mm -hmm. i will say that there were times and and this is something where i did have this experience the first time reading it around as well but it's it's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, so one of the things that you talked about was how there are so many different storylines going on, and I do remember thinking the first time uh, that I read this, uh, where as I was reading it and I'm as I'm just kind of getting in the zone and getting in my rhythm and I'm just reading it, I eventually uh, I I sometimes forget that there's like an overall story going on. There's there's definitely things that they introduce at the beginning where the, the overall threat that's supposed to unify them. Right. But you're, the funny thing is, is at the very beginning of the story, other than
0: the, the first panel of the book is just a black panel with the words, chapter one analog heroes, but then the panel below that is the first actual picture. And that basically the first panel of the story tells us who the villain is we just don't know it at the time exactly exactly <laughs> right
1: so as you're reading it if if your mind drifts uh, like my mind certainly drifts some people have definitely have more focus than i do but as i'm reading as i was reading it i i tend to forget that oh this is a story about all of them and i just kind of move from scene to scene it, it almost feels like i'm meandering uh, through the dc universe like i'm on a tour or something and to some people that might be a bad experience because they just feel like what is what are all these things supposed to do what's the point of all this but again maybe it's just a sign of my age and maturation but it it works better for me now uh reading it in 2022 uh i i it it might have elements of that of of that slice of life storytelling that I do enjoy where mm-hmm. I can watch mm-hmm. these little bits and pieces of everyone's life and and yeah and I remember reading it for the first time way back when and just forgetting that these there was supposed to be some sort of uh unifying thing and maybe maybe it's that thing where you have to read it through at least once, for your for in order to see what, what the big picture is, because that first time you're reading it, you might just be like, I, I don't get it. What's what's what are we waiting for, you know? Mm-hmm. So, that, that it does feel like, just like for example, based on the uh reviews that you you put up, that that was the feeling amongst them that sense of this is boring, there's nothing really going on, I'm just watching snippets of different heroes' lives all without yeah. the realization that well the snippets are saying something uh, about the time period it's saying something about what these heroes are dealing with and then very quickly well not even very quickly but ultimately it it coalesces into this grand ending with all of them and yeah. uh, it works you know it it works maybe that's the thing i would recommend for people is read it once Uh, So that you kind of get a feel for what the structure is once you get to the end of it and then read it again with what you've learned in mind. And I think it might be a different experience.
0: Yeah. I think it would be, it is something that, it is something that's very long. Like you said, it, it's not necessarily a dense book, but but there's certainly a lot of story. And that's because maybe it's because he's a writer artist that, he trusts his own art to tell the story so you can you don't have to rush through this and blast through it cuz it's it's a book where i think there are few enough words that if you really wanted to speed read just the words you could totally do that mm. but i think reading the comic in that way is sort of a disservice because there's so much story imbued in the art and Sometimes it's just a matter of, you know, taking your time to let your eyes linger on something so you can fully enjoy or appreciate something. Because there there are a lot of moments, you know, it it is, like you said, kind of a slice of life kind of style of storytelling. And it's also, Mm. uh, I guess another way of saying it would be uh, that it's a a bunch of seemingly unrelated vignettes that eventually build up to a bigger outcome. Absolutely.
2: Yeah. yeah, yeah, and, I, and I totally even with within that.
0: those within those different vignettes in the different chapters, there are so many great moments and cool scenes that I think are just totally memorable. Like there's a scene very beginning when we're reading about the losers and they all en- end up getting wiped out, and then the last one, John Cloud, he decides to try to avenge his brothers and attack the Tyrannosaurus Rex that killed him because you know they're on the the land that. Time Forgot, or whatever it was called. The War That Time Forgot. You know, it's mm. that island with the dinosaurs. And he jumps into the open maw of a T-Rex with some grenades in his hands. It, it's a pretty impressive drawing, just the angle and the visual appeal of it. But then the mm. the dialogue at the end is pretty memorable too because like he's clearly dead. It's like his final words and his narration says... Ask my family, and they'll tell you I was a Navajo. Ask the Army Air Force, and they'll say I was an American. But if you ask my brothers, they'll set you straight. John Cloud was a loser. Uh-huh. Because yeah. it was about the losers, which was the, the name of the group, name of the comic at the time. Yeah. And then like the way that whole sequence is framed, it, it's with, you see uh, three of his so the losers are four people and then you see the three of them have already died at this point and you have their guns, their rifles are, you know, with their bayonets pointed down, they're just planted in the ground with their helmets hanging off the, the butt of the rifle. Mm-hmm. And you just, you get this middle panel. I'm looking at page 41. You get this middle panel where you, you have the three helmets of his companions clearly outlined, but then there's a, uh, a flash from the explosion when his grenades go off and you see that his hat is hanging off his rifle right next to them but it's not really you can't see it until it gets illuminated by his own death like that's some mm. next level storytelling right there man it, yeah. it's really well done it's it's yeah. just subtle enough uh t- to really make you like reread the page on the spot then you have other scenes like the scene where superman sees Wonder Woman when they're in Vietnam, you know, like that. I feel like that's a scene that people still talk about because it's such a memorable Wonder Woman scene. And it's the scene where Wonder Woman has liberated these women from, you know, sexual slavery, yeah. captivity, and she. You. It, you. If it turns out that she. Liberated them and then allowed them to basically take their revenge upon the men who captured them and stole them. And they kill all those men in pretty brutal fashion, merciless fashion. And then they're just celebrating their freedom in a hut. And then Superman flies by. He sees all these dead bodies and he's like, this isn't war. It's butchery. And then he just hears Wonder Woman leading these women in a toast and everybody's having a jolly happy time laughing and stuff Mm. uh there's this great moment in on page 81 where uh superman opens the door and you just see his face and he's looking angry and it looks like he's using his x-ray vision or something just some really great coloring work by dave stewart there it's a very cool effect Mm. and he's just shocked at what he's seeing when he opens the door and and you see wonder woman you know she's basically like dressing him down and you know telling him telling him he's naive but you know in a much more uh sensible wordy way and then at the end of her little spiel uh, she gets off the table that she was kneeling on and like stands in front of superman toe to toe And you actually see that she's taller and bigger and buffer than Superman. (laughs) And and then at the end she's a true Amazon. Yeah. And at the end she just says, "There's the door, spaceman." And that's such a great ending to a scene. It's like, yeah, yeah, like that. I feel like that is my ideal Wonder Woman. You know, like she's someone who is built like an Amazon. She's buffer and taller than Superman. He he's literally looking up at her.
1: Yeah. (laughs) That's great. Yeah. See that's that's the type of subtlety that's lost on a guy like me. (laughs) (laughs) Like I feel that didn't stand out to you? I I I don't think I ever thought about it. I mean like, okay, let me let me clarify this. It's a scene that you've talked about several times in discussions with me. And you know, just via osmosis I've I've I acknowledge an appreciation for that moment just Due to the amount of glee that you get from it but you know in my reading of it that first time i yeah it's not something where i really thought about it that much Mm, you know mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah but i will say that the content of the scene was was probably what was more striking to me than you know like the conversation that the two of them have that like in terms of the things that i did remember from the book the first time of my reading those, that scene was one of the ones that I did remember. Yeah. Um, So that, you know, it says something about just the power of that, uh, scene.
0: Yeah. It's a good scene about idealism and the reality of how things are, you you know, you can't always, things don't always end up in these ideal ways that as much as you would want them to sometimes you just yeah. have to operate in reality and the conversation that they had it's so true to both of their characters and i think that yeah what wonder woman says to him in that in that scene that really fits who she is and how she functions as an icon you know it it, it neatly encapsulates everything that is cool about the character that makes her that's how you know she's different from superman you know she's not just a female version of superman she's her own character and and that's yeah. a big fundamental difference
1: yeah and not to like harp on that point too much but i i feel like this is a scene where some there there are people who would look at that and say that oh this is vim injecting you know politics or their whatever their beliefs are into the comics and maybe that's there's a truth to that where darwin cook took his own personal beliefs about you know uh gender perspectives or whatever and decided to apply it to this comic right but it's also a scene that absolutely works in the context of who these characters are yeah you know and it makes sense yeah yeah absolutely and the fact that there are people who view that and go that's not that's not how they'd really be that's not real like like the book is hey you know what wonder woman's not real
2: (laughs) superman isn't real
1: (laughs) well didn't you just show me a text the other day about how superman was drawn on a piece of paper and therefore superman's real someone texted that (laughs) (laughs) i think it was uh the lowest form of
0: dregs on Twitter who are arguing about the little mermaid. Yeah. Oh Uh, yeah. There's there's this new version of, or a live action version of Disney's, the little mermaid. And I guess they got a black actress to play the mermaid or Ariel. So there, there's a certain contingent of scum
1: who are pretty upset about that. Yeah. And they refuse to acknowledge that, you know, little they refuse to acknowledge that one mermaids are real or aren't real but they've warped it to 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 fit their argument by saying well the character is real in the sense that they exist so you can't take that away from me
0: (laughs) yeah yeah it's it's a real fictional character yes exactly in a a movie in a cartoon movie yeah therefore you know you have to honor real history because yeah. In 1989, the little mermaid was a white mermaid.
2: Yeah.
0: And if yeah. you're doing an adaptation of that, you have to keep her white. Like, <laughs> shut <laughs> so up. Stupid.
1: So, so stupid. So stupid. So dumb. <laughs> but yeah, there's a lot of different scenes like this where um, Darwin Cook puts these little moments in that are commentaries. Like I don't know I, I can't speak for him. I don't know whether he truly believes this or not, or if he's just finding a way to embody like how he would view or how he thinks these characters would view the world, right? Um there are moments where John Jones has the same thing going on where as an alien coming to Earth as an adult, he he's got a pretty bewildered perspective on humans like he enjoys their entertainment but he's just i don't know like there's an awe for what they could be but there's also a disgust at just how how much of a you know for those moments where they do feel him you know
0: yeah there's a a genuine fear in his heart that they won't accept him if they n- knew what he really was because he sees how America treats minorities. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, there's things like that that are an undercurrent in the story, a pretty big undercurrent. Yeah. And I f- yeah. I mean, if, if that's the kind of message that offends somebody, uh, well, I'm glad they're offended, but there's yeah. not really, you know, there's, here. <laughs> there's nothing, there's nothing to be said about that, you know, like what, what can you tell somebody who who gets mad because they're reminded that racism exists?
2: Yeah.
1: It's like, I'm sorry that you would prefer to, you know, tell yourself that we're done with it. So I'm happy, you know, I'm yeah. not dealing with it. So it's not a problem for me.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, and on top of that, it's a story that takes place in the fifties. So yeah. Yeah. yeah it it right. makes even more sense within the context yeah. of the tale.
1: Yeah. So I do think that Darwin cook did a good job of injecting these commentary these types of commentary into this comic but like you said it's not something where he's necessarily beating us over the head with it but if you're a person who is a a good reader if you're a person who reads something and observes the uh depth of the work and you know contemplates it then yeah they're they're not they're not so deep in the in the in the text that you really have to work super hard to find them but they're there they're mm-hmm. but if your entire perspective is just to have a completely surface appreciation for this comic and to not be uh um reminded of <laughs> ideas that you don't yeah. agree with or that you're not happy about like, they might make it even sound like, I just don't want to be reminded of any ideas. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I just want, and, and that's, I think it's a disingenuous argument. It, it's one that doesn't acknowledge that there's something about this that you don't like, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. It, yeah, so it's it's such a, it's, yeah. Like, I I don't 100%, I, I don't believe that it's entirely about uh, you know, being ham fisted or whatever. I, I certainly think that there are books out there that exist that are ham fisted, but you know, for the people that go around and use that as a catch all and a cudgel to disparage any work that's in existence just just to just because they they don't want any uh you know hard work in reading. Mm-hmm. like yeah it is it's it's disingenuous it's super disingenuous yeah and yeah and just to bring that back home it it just does remind me just how how good darwin cook was as a writer it, like it, it it makes me realize now even more so now that it's although his art is obviously top tier in this book like his his writing is a little underrated mm-hmm like, mm-hmm. I do have more appreciation for his writing, reading it this third time around.
0: Yeah. When I reread yeah. Batman Ego around the time we uh, did that episode on the Batman movie, <laughs> I, I definitely had even more appreciation for his writing because I, I think Batman Ego was a book that had to grow on me. Maybe the first time I read it, I was like, huh, I heard so many great things about it, but it didn't, like, blow me away. Yeah. And then, like every successive time I read it, I was able to appreciate more and more of it. So, yeah, yeah, maybe well, maybe that's just me and how familiarity breeds more fondness. But I do think that there are bits and elements of his storytelling style. That, yeah, uh, yeah, I think it it just takes some time. Sometimes his some of his work takes a little time to grow on you and. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Really grab you, especially when it comes to his writing, because I think there are things of his that I've read that another person wrote, and he just did the artwork, and those immediately, you know, completely grabbed me. But yeah, as a as an artist, I think he's an impeccable storyteller. You can see a lot of mm-hmm. subtlety in his characters' body language and yeah. their facial expressions. Everything is always really. Believable. He creates a, a consistent-looking world that yeah. you can just completely buy into. It. It really has the the flavor and the feel of the 50s. Mm. As a writer, I think uh, maybe maybe his plotting isn't the best plotting or the most creative plotting, but his his actual storytelling as an artist is so good that. Yeah, you know, it it doesn't really matter as much if his if the actual words aren't always the best words or the you know yeah. the catchiest words or whatever.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah. But it's... comics is a visual medium, so yeah, having good art to tell the story that goes for uh, a long way. You know, like you don't necessarily have to be able to write a beautiful prose novel in order to be a really good comic book writer yeah if you're if you're an artist
1: yeah it 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 certainly feels like a case where the talent of his art is just so overpowering and enormous that his writing becomes um is overshadowed by it, and mm-hmm. reading it multiple rereads of it really does uh over time flush out all the all the finer subtleties of his writing because i do think that in the grander scheme like you're right the the plot itself isn't the most original plot but he executes it in a way where over time and with with thought it's you can definitely see where where the the value of it lies, you know, mm-hmm. where where the strength of it lies, and it's it's a hard sell to some people to tell them, hey, you got to read this two two or three times, and maybe you'll you'll finally like like it then, <laughs> you know. Yeah,
0: uh, I mean, even but, that, even in that case, though, I do think that reading it once, I don't think it's something that people should dislike upon reading it. You know? Yeah. Like I I think I think people with more discerning tastes are at least able to appreciate it even if they don't like it. Like you can still read this and even if you don't personally like it, you can recognize that it has something to say and it's executed in a more than just a competent way it's executed in a in a masterful way from a comics storytelling perspective with the artwork and everything you know in the language of comics if it's not to your taste then it's not to your taste but i think rereading it you can develop a taste for it you know
2: yeah i wanted to if somebody read
0: it and was like yeah, this sucks. I'm not rereading this again. I'd probably question their taste entirely and <laughs> I I'd, I'd question I question their heart, their passion for the game, <laughs> everything about them that makes them who they are. I would I would cast a lot of aspersions on that person. <laughs>
1: yeah. I wanted to I'm I'm flipping through the pages and there's just this one stunning sequence of pages that uh that i I, when i read it i I remember liking it and then i forgot about it but now that i'm seeing it again it's instantly reminding me but uh there's a point where i forget exactly what happens but there's these astronauts who get caught in space and there's this fear that they're going to come down in this rocket it's going to blow up the planet or i think there's nukes on it because they were trying to get rid of whatever this uh being was in space and what you're seeing is the the rockets crash landing uh on the ground and the two pilots inside are you know, they, they know that they have to detonate their rocket before it reaches the planet, right? So it's just this scene where Superman uh where they're they're just living the life that they could have lived. They're imagining the life that they could have lived together and you're watching them on their wedding day and they're watching them grow old, and then it jumps back to the moment where that they're in in the current present which is them you know careening towards the earth and then it just shows this close-up of them as they're you know in the rocket as things are heating up as they're um facing re-entry and their helmets come off and in the final moment where they like embrace each other they set off the nuke and then you just see this giant full page page spread of this bomb blast and superman flying off with the other two astronauts that the the only two astronauts that he could he could save you know and it's just such a gorgeous like couple of pages of storytelling and moving at that you know yeah it's it's uh yeah just a testament to his ability to tell a story and uh his ability to elicit emotion yeah, it's it's so good. Yeah. Um, you want to go into the originality a bit?
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think so. We talked a little bit about this as we discussed the craft. Uh, yeah. But did you want to say anything more? No, 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 no. I I'm with you. Let's uh, let's go for it. Yeah, uh, I think. The originality is not so much in the plot itself, but in the actual execution and the various ideas contained within the vignettes. I mean, ultimately, to me, the thing that stands out in terms of whether uh, it has something original to say to the reader is that it's an injection of optimism into the often- tiresome and moribund grittiness of modern superhero comics. Mm. It's the take on the transition between the Golden Age to the Silver Age of comics, at least the yeah. DC comics, but it keeps that era's optimism intact and the liveliness and vivaciousness of it. There's a lot of uh, yeah, just pure hope and sense of uh optimism and that's not necessarily something that is super common in comics yeah maybe maybe it's becoming more and common a little bit now but i do the think time. that at the time 2004 like people had largely moved away from these sort of uh retro themed kind of stories you know like there's a reason yeah. why people would look at the new frontier and consider it a retro comic and it's not just because it has silver age val- uh, characters but it's because it has silver age values yeah you know like the early 2000s was that period when when stuff like the authority was hot and you know i love the authority but i don't need yeah. every comic to be like the authority you yeah. know and the authority yeah. is something where the heroes are the, the villains are super mean but the heroes are only, you know, they're just as mean, but they're just yeah. out to stop the villains. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, there, there's a certain amount of uh, distance between the authority as heroes and us as readers who like to read superhero comics to root for the heroes, you know? Like, there, you'd feel a little bit dirty rooting for the authority to the fullest, you know? Like, certainly to some degree, you gotta yeah. root for them because the people that they're fighting are always absolutely worse. But yeah, I don't think a normal person would want to actually hang out and be friends with the authority
1: either. Uh, I would debate that with you. I think there are a lot of people who genuinely would. That's
0: true, but they're not people I respect, so I don't really care. Oh yeah, I don't yeah, count yeah. as people.
1: Yeah. they're roaches in suits exactly well can i can i address what you just put out there though it's Mm -hmm. it's Mm -hmm. i feel like that that was a lot of stuff that was worth um analyzing and breaking down uh like i I don't even know where to begin to some degree but I'll, i'll i'll try my best um yeah there's you're right when you say when you call this book optimistic it absolutely is because it, it's it's a world where the heroes are still sincere and genuine and they're doing their best to do what they believe is good right and i do think that in that period of the 2000s that that was something that we had moved I think it, had, it was an idea that had become passe because we had lived with that for such a long time. The idea that, well, I guess this was a gradual enough transition where for the longest time, it was this sense that we don't want our heroes to be scary and we want them to be good. But over time, uh, as the decades went on, it felt like they wanted their heroes to become more human you know, and being more human
0: means being more of a
1: jackass. (laughs) Well, exactly. Right. I mean, I I don't think that was the natural conclusion that they came to because if we go far back in comics, you you had guys like Superman and then, you know, Spider-Man became a thing. And what people said about Spider-Man was he's human. He has problems just like the rest of us. Right. Uh, But he was still pure. But if you think about it, then the natural conclusion or progression of that is that, well, if he was really like us and we're all terrible people on the inside or just, you know, if we're all petty and bitter and, you know, truly chauvinistic or whatever, like eventually as time goes moves forward and as people continue to up the ante, what you eventually see is the, the ultimate culmination of that is that the heroes become just, you know, hostile dicks. Yeah. Just- you know?
0: compare the difference between the 1960s captain america to the ultimates version of captain america in the early 2000s exactly you know and like yeah the 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 old silver age friendly captain america would never kick a man's teeth out after he beat that man yeah but that's exactly what captain america and the ultimates does yeah
1: yeah well but that's the funny thing um about it, when I when I think about it, is if if comics reflect people and their values to some degree, like maybe it's a chicken and egg thing where I I won't say that comics influence people and and then the people influence the comics. Uh, like I I don't know what which influenced which first, but speaking in twenty 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 two again, like it does feel like now more than ever we're at this period of time where people are very I mean, there's an obvious polarization in the country and there's uh, obviously people who feel very strongly uh, a certain way and i think there are a lot of people who obviously get some sort of satisfaction from seeing their heroes really take it to to villains in in a mean-spirited way because it's hard to tell someone hey you you what you really want to do is you want to be the better person because at the end of the day, like, you know, you get to, you get to look yourself in the mirror. Like people can only tell themselves that so many times until there's enough people that just want to give in to that feeling of, no, I don't want to give these people the benefit of the doubt, or I don't want to give them any grace or mercy because in my heart and in my mind. I want the satisfaction of like, not just beating them, but utterly humiliating them and destroying them, you know? Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. We're killing them.
1: Um, <clears throat> yeah. Or killing them yeah, and, and not just killing them. I want to like dance on their graves. It's, it's yeah. just kind of where we're at now, but society and comics tends to have this pendulum swing where uh, we do have moments where we get pushed to this extreme of like, superhero dickishness before we maybe go come back a little bit maybe not all the way back but to something more sensible but the the grander question is like do we ever go back to something as pure as whatever that was in that first day and i do even have any interest in going to that so it's interesting that the new frontier is this retro comic that takes these characters from this period of time the Silver, silver age and and he darwin cook <clears throat> applies to them modern sensibilities or or not even modern sensibilities but modern interpretations of just how they view the world and how they uh view themselves in the context of the world and just that title and elements of the story like like that speech we were talking about where john f kennedy is the the closing speech at the end of Mm -hmm. of this comic right It, it really feels like it's darwin cook trying to reach back to that time where the thing about that speech was that this was a period of time where we were coming out of the darkness of the world that we had lived in john f kennedy represented in terms of his policy and his aspirations you know changes in the country that were coming uh changes that they wanted to make not not just in terms of like societal changes but changes in terms of progress in terms of uh technological advancement in terms of uh you know bettering ourselves on just all sorts of fronts and yeah. that's not something that we really think about anymore you mm-hmm. know like when we think about the future now more often it looks more like blade runner than it does what they envisioned the future to be like in the 1960s when Kennedy gave that speech, that, that yeah, view yeah. of the world where, you know, um, I I choose not to go to the moon because it is easy. I choose to go to the moon because it is hard. You know, it's that idea that, um, you know, we as a society want to be better and we will strive to be better uh, and we stand up to face those challenges and um yeah like the the fingerprints of that is just all over this book uh because they're these if these were truly silver age stories these characters might not even think about racism or <laughs> the sexism yeah. or the gender imbalance like but these characters live in a world where they're surrounded by these things and instead of just shying away from it they've they, you know, face it, their attitudes are representative of a new era. And it's, it's going back to something that maybe we've forgotten about ourselves. And to go back and tell this retro story, you can take those feelings and attitudes and I think there's a hole that exists in 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 current comics, that needs to be filled with stuff like this, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So so that was a long way to go to get to this, but you know, like his, although his plot on the face of it, if I described it to you in uh, a paragraph, um, uh, it's it's about super, it's about the original DC superheroes, uh, it's a retelling of their origins in and about them facing a giant island monster that's going to wipe them out and about how they unit, unite to overcome it and usher in the new age of superheroes. Like, on its own, it's not very impressive, right? It's it's a serviceable plot. But when you look at the minutiae and the nuance within this comic, there's so much more going on here, you know? Yeah, so, yeah.
0: It's, he does it's address a lot of those things. Yeah, he addresses yeah. a lot of those things that you... Just mentioned you know from from racism to power imbalance and uh, politicians kind of looking for their own good over the good of the people, you know all sorts of things that are human hate human in nature hate. yeah hate exactly people hating
1: other people yeah
0: yeah yeah and yeah. and granted none of these none of those items on its own, none of those are things that we've never heard or seen in a comic before, but yeah. Yeah, but the execution, you know, like, again, I I go back to the execution of it and how he, how Cook uses the story to um, just bring attention to those kinds of ideas. And, you know, he doesn't shy away from those things. He he addresses them within the story. There's something that you just have to respect about that. and, And I do appreciate it. And I do think that, It adds meaning to the work, you know. Yeah. It's it's not just a comic that I read so that I can see people punching each other or shooting energy blasts or flying around or you know doing superhero stuff. There's actually things in the comic that make you think about the world that we inhabit. So yeah, yeah. There's yeah, there's there's way too many cape comics out there that. Don't even really bother doing that. Yeah. So the ones that do, you've you've got to pay at least some attention to them. Yeah,
1: like I can't help but compare this to another exercise in, uh, you know, uh, continuity reconciliation. <laughs> but the one, like I can think of something like the new 52 as a a, a company wide project where they attempted to, you know recalibrate the continuity of the entire DC universe in order to tell a story. And in a way, in terms of an exercise, it's similar to what they're doing here on a very shallow surface level, but mm-hmm. you know, it has nowhere near the amount of depth or insight or the amount of uh effort. Well, yeah. you know what? For all that might not be true. There was a lot of you can put a lot of effort into making crap. So that's true. So I, maybe
0: maybe one of the other big differences is that because the New 52 was just this editorially driven, corporate driven, line-wide event, there wasn't a singular artistic vision behind it. So Yeah, no, absolutely. It's obviously like, hard
1: to it's make It's not a fair comparison. Yeah, it's yeah. it's
0: really hard to make good art when you're doing it by committee and the people who are actually crafting the art are being told and directed and editorialized into oblivion it's hard to get a lot of what makes art valuable into those (laughs) kinds of works you know particularly the creative intents of the actual creator so Mm -hmm. for darwin cook to have this opportunity to do his story yeah again i don't really know anything about him personally never met him or haven't even read too many interviews about him honestly or interviews featuring him so i don't know like his thoughts on a lot of things but just reading this work it definitely does feel like there's a lot of him inside it you know
1: yeah yeah it's it does feel personal so it's I, I i acknowledge that and i guess i guess i'll admit that when i was scoring it i i was purely focused on just or maybe not purely focused but the the a substantial part of my focus was placed on the plot itself and it's a hard thing to to ignore but in spite of that, I do think it's a very, it, it might not be the most original thing, but it's well done and the execution is great. And what he has to say is substantive in spite of the, you know, whatever, uh, the the shallow perception of its uh simplicity. Agreed. You want to you have anything else to say about the originality or are you good to move to impact? We can move on. Sure. So now we're going to talk about the impact this book has had on comics as a whole. So that includes, you know, how it affected other comics creators, how it affected the industry, how it affected readership and uh, or how it affected Friends in comics, um, you know, any one of those. Last week we talked, or, or not last week, but uh, I, I forget, in one of our previous episodes, we talked about how impact is a harder thing to quantify, you know, because sometimes it's a matter of, even though something looks good, like who's to say who was really, unless someone explicitly says it, who's to say who's, who was. Uh, inspired by or influenced by a certain piece of work but with darwin cook i'm pretty confident there were a lot of people who were influenced by him even even if they don't draw in his style like it it does feel like the new frontier is something that is pretty well lauded Uh, there's a reason that it's something that they keep in print all the time there's uh, there's a reason that it's something that um that they've put out in very different various formats it's it's something that critics seem to have a good eye for heck even drew was even saying that he looked up the haters in order to feed off their hate juice and all he could find was two reviews that were worth a damn so (laughs) so uh you know this this is something that might be it's it's i think it's fair to say that the impact of this book is far higher than most books. Yeah, especially for a
0: book that is slightly less than 20 years old. I think it's easier to measure or estimate the impact of older works just because they've been around longer and you really do have more time to see the marks that they've left on the industry and on fans and on creators with something that's less than 20 years old, maybe it's not quite as easy to see those things, but some of the things that we have seen from it are the massive amount of critical acclaim that it received. Uh, In terms of awards, if those are the kind of things that impress you, it did win multiple Eisners. It won an Eisner for Best Limited Series, Best Coloring, for Dave Stewart and Best Publication Design. It also won a few Harvey Awards for Best Artist, Best Colorist, and Best Continuing or Limited Series. And it also received the Schuster Award for Outstanding Canadian Comic Book Cartoonist. There's those. And also when it was released as an Absolute Edition, the Absolute, the absolute won an Eisner for Best Graphic Album in the reprint category. So yeah, oh, there's quite a few nice. notable uh, awards that this book earned.
1: Yeah. He also did. I I might have missed it, but did you mention that it also got a movie? I did not mention it, but that is also a very good point.
0: And it wasn't yeah, even I found... long after the book uh, ended because the movie, the movie itself, was released in 2000. Eight, I believe. Let's double check that. Yeah, it was released in early two thousand eight, and the book came out in two thousand four. So you have mm. to figure that the movie was at least in development for a year or two. So yeah, very shortly after the book was finished, they started making, started work on the movie, and it's it's an animated movie, one of those DC animated features, and it's called Justice League: The New Frontier presumably because Justice League has more of a <laughs> mass appeal than just calling it DC, the New
1: Frontier. I mean it wasn't Joker, the man who laughs, the New Frontier? It wasn't the Batman Joker, who laughs
0: the man who <laughs>, laughs, Dark Knight, Metal, on Infinite <laughs> Crisis on Earth, or whatever.
1: Uh, and Venom, the yeah. New Frontier? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the Venom Frontier? <laughs>
0: Uh, King Spawn Frontier, <laughs> Gunslinger, Venom, King Spawn, Frontier, Secret yep, Wars. Yep.
1: Yep. Yeah. Uh, boobies. Yeah. <laughs> uh, dot dot dot. Boobies. <laughs> I haven't watched
0: the movie in a long time. I I do have it on regular dvd i bought it like pretty close to the time it came out so it was something that i did like at the time it's just that my memory of it is pretty fuzzy because i haven't watched it in quite some years but i yeah i remember liking
1: it you have any thoughts on the movie adaptation i feel like i did watch it i might have even watched it with you but i don't really remember it too well as of right now but Having just read this, uh, it might be a good time to watch it again just to see how it stacks up uh, and just to see if part of me wonders if the you know the issues that we had or that we mentioned about reading the book applies to the movie as well. And maybe it's just a thing where I really have to reconsider my perspective on what I was watching to see if there's more there than I'm realizing. Um, Yeah, they made the movie, and it's not, you know, you if you've listened to our podcast, you I'm hoping that you realize by now that just because something gets a movie doesn't necessarily mean that it's uh that's necessarily our mark for success in our mind because uh the book itself on its own is already a success to us, so you know let that be clear. But you know, it's
0: from what I do remember of the movie, I definitely think the comics better
1: yeah i I imagine that's the case, but I'm also not gonna ignore the fact that you know that the details around the fact that they made a movie for it that it even got one like that says something it says something in terms of what's going on in the minds of the company and you know what their belief in in this work is mm-hmm. so you know i'm I'm not gonna ignore that but me personally or to us personally that's uh, you know yeah i guess we're trying to have our cake and eat it too when it comes to discussing the movie but (laughs) uh yeah any other thoughts on the impact i'm not sure can you think of
0: any instances where you might have heard another creator talk about being influenced or inspired by new frontier or just darwin cook in general
1: well (laughs) okay so this feels. Okay I'll say this much uh, and and it it might be kind of a gross thing to say but the one of the things that sucks is is Darwin Cook has passed since uh you know in in recent years yeah he, and, he
0: passed away back in 2016
1: yeah and it's one of those things where I don't know if that's something that adds to you know the mythology of the man or or his work but you know there there are people certain disreputable folks who who tried to claim him because you know he stand if he was still alive he would stand for this you know and it's a complete mis I, I personally think it's a complete yeah, misreading of gators yeah it's a complete misreading of his work uh but the fact that there was even this argument over you know his like this became a pretty big uh like twitter debacle from what i remember uh where yeah, yeah. people were comic basically skaters, invoking his name
0: yeah the comic skaters invoked his name and co- claimed him as one of their own and then his widow came out and said absolutely not he never would be one of you and then they just yeah. like harassed her and, and kept on going after her online it was yeah way behavior. to treat your
1: heroes <laughs> yeah exactly yeah and their leader you know he he basically he he's such a slime ball but he basically said something to the effect of like he tried to make it sound like you know with all due respect one of those <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah, like
0: yeah whenever, whenever somebody says that usually that means there's no respect yeah. at
1: all yeah, like I don't even think that those were the exact terms he used, but it may. It, from what I remember, his response to uh, Darwin Cook's widow was something to the effect of, you know, uh, I'm gonna let you believe what you want to believe, and I'm gonna believe what I believe. And you know, him having a f- a fervent, rabid following of idiots. What did they do instead of uh, just leaving it at that? They chose to attack her, and yeah. you know because that's how you treat your heroes you attack their families <laughs> yeah but I hate
0: people albert i hate people so much seriously people are the worst
1: yeah it's it's a it's a bad example but it's it's the one thing that i can point to where i'm like yeah like he he's even after his passing he still had this influence where these people wanted to invoke his name and claim him as this symbol for them, and you know, it's a pretty convenient hero to have, uh, you know, to to choose someone who who's passed because they're not around to either argue with you or disagree with you, yeah. and you can just kind of drape their, you know, their remains over your your twisted warped values and parade them around uh, mm-hmm. as as a justification for your behavior. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but yeah that's that that was unfortunately the one thing that i thought of <sighs> because i'm I, i'm just constantly looking for reasons to hate humanity
0: <laughs> maybe you're not looking for reasons to hate humanity but those reasons end up finding you yeah
1: yeah there we go chicken and egg once again and apparently <laughs> it's all the eggs fault <laughs> yeah <laughs> there's no question there there's it was i'm the chicken i was right from the beginning and it was always the egg that was at fault you know uh but in terms of more positive uh, uh examples? examples of of people that were uplifting uh that, that were influenced by darwin cook yeah i can't really i i feel like there are a bunch of artists who who still try to continue in that style of uh, you know Batman the animated series uh, maybe not necessarily quite Darwin Cook esque but you know similar ish and uh, what was the thing that I was oh that was you know not to go back to movies again but I, I guess one of the things that I can mention and and you know this is all speculation on on my part so I don't know how sure it is or not but one of the things that occurred to me recently was they re not recently maybe like a couple of years ago they ended the animated universe which i think you can fairly say was influenced by the new 52 sort of aesthetic and everything Mm -hmm. that came before it they relaunched that animated universe and one of the leading movies in that animated universe was the jsa uh, movie that they did and they did a superman movie too from what i remember um and the looks I of those the
0: superman movie i didn't watch the jsa one
1: yeah yeah but the thing that i remember thinking when i saw the trailers for them is even though they're a pretty unique signature style all all its own there is something about watching that that does remind me of darwin cook mm. um or or you know his his retro style so maybe you could say that the style of it is just retro or retro adjacent. Uh, Maybe it's not quite, like I couldn't say a hundred percent that it was something influenced by Darwin cook, but you could, if you take that as the trend of those movies moving forward, assuming that they're popular, you could also tell yourself that Darwin cook was ahead of that trend by, by years, if not a decade or more. So. Again, it's purely speculation on my part. Mm-hmm. But I don't know what you think of that. I think
0: that's fair. I don't I haven't really thought about it before, but now that you brought it up, you will give me you've given me reason to think about it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can't yeah, I can't really think of any other comics that were impacted or, or that where I could draw a direct line of impact from uh, Darwin Cook. But all that stuff that we mentioned earlier, like the accolades and the awards and the recognition that he got, like I think that speaks volumes in and of itself.
0: Yeah, certainly his peers have a lot of respect for him.
1: Yeah, yeah. Right. You Ready to move on to the comic's ability to withstand the test of time?
0: Yep. Sure. All I can really say is that I'll reiterate what I said earlier where the new frontier is something that I like more for the craftsmanship than maybe the story itself. I I still think the story is fine enough, but because the storytelling is so strong, it is something that I can revisit repeatedly and the artwork is certainly timeless. So, Mm. yeah, just what what I was saying earlier when we were talking about the book is, is just the amount of enjoyment that I get from rereading it. There's not too many other books I can think of where I think each time I reread it, I appreciate it more, you know, like most of the time, if I'm rereading a book that I already like, it's, I just end up, uh, you know, I, I enjoy it just as much as I did before. You know, but this is something where I can genuinely say I'm picking up different nuances from my rereads that gives me a new or a different way to appreciate a work that I've become pretty familiar with. You know, maybe it's not quite Watchmen level, where something like Watchmen, right? Like every time I reread that, yeah, I'll I'll see something that I never saw before because it's just got so much packed into it but uh or you know rereading another comic that i really like for entertainment you know it's 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 different you know maybe because i don't i don't necessarily think of the new frontier as something i seek out for just pure entertainment which mm. you know might sound weird because i think most people read comics or read fiction in general for entertainment but i think i just read it because I like the way that it's crafted, and I I like the way that Darwin Cook drew the story, and every time I do reread it, I find something new to appreciate in it.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: I was going to say, in terms of this story's ability to withstand the test of time, I want to, you know, sort of point back to what I said earlier, just in terms of you know, how I, I guess I view comics and society as, as a whole, but, uh, I mentioned earlier that I do think that. You love attitudes... comics and you hate society as a whole. <laughs> that is true. That is true. But I was going to say that in terms of how you know comics are influenced by society and people and or or vice versa whichever uh, influences which first like it it does feel like there's this constant pendulum swing going on in terms of um you know the type of stories that happen and a reaction to that type of story and now that i think about it something like the new frontier does feel like a reaction to to those sorts of dark stories that we read at a particular point in time Mm -hmm. and it exists so well on its own the thing that makes it you know timeless the thing that makes it able to withstand the test of time is that it's this constant it's this response to this attitude uh so much so to the point that it's i think it's almost fair to say that it's one of the leading books in that uh in that reaction, uh the one of the leading books uh to to say that not all comic books have to have, you know, you know, excuse my language, but shit kicker superheroes mm-hmm. that, you know, yeah. uh that are just quote unquote badass or whatever. Yeah. Like um I think that's what makes it timeless is its ability to stand on its own as as this book that's in response to this wave of comics that felt like they, you know, everybody had to be uh, scary and tough. And, you know, what we're seeing is um, this book existing as a a peak example of what it means to be vulnerable and genuine and sincere uh, superheroes. And Mm -hmm. I think you know to to go back to impact a little bit but i i do think that as a leader as 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 the book that you can point to as kind of the tip of the spear of of that reaction you know i i'd have to yeah i'd have to it, it gives me it gives me it makes me contemplate, like how many other books might not have been inspired necessarily purely by the art style, but just by that attitude, mm-hmm. because you did mention, like we do exist, kind of after you know years of the Man of Steel and Batman v Superman, like we do kind of exist in an age where the light-hearted comics are seeing a bit of a res- resurgence. Um, you know, it's it's maybe not quite to the same level as something like New Frontier, but it, it makes me wonder if those other comics that were the New Frontier's contemporaries or the, the comics that followed that took that track of, hey, we don't all have to be tough guys. We can just be good, and that's what matters, yeah. you know? Yeah. Like, I'd have to wonder if they were influenced by the the content of this outside of the art you know Mm -hmm. like i that's something that i'd be curious to uh deconstruct more but um it's it's yeah that's that's why i do think that this book is able to withstand the test of time because it it can exist in a vacuum on its own as this story about just heroes being human and being good yeah (laughs) yeah i
0: want to believe that values virtues such as being good and being optimistic and trying to craft a better future i want to believe that those kinds of ideas
1: will always withstand the test of time yeah well let me sorry to interrupt but what i wanted to add to that what you just said was i think in a in a current age that's as rough as it is if anything it's just a reminder that this is something that withstands the test of time even more because we need it even more now mm-hmm. than yeah, we did true. then, you know? Yeah. So uh, yeah, I, I think that that's why I, I, I would give it high marks for its ability to withstand the test of time.
0: Yeah, same here. And one more thing about withstanding the test of time, but I think the fact that the story itself is set in such a specific time period that also makes it timeless, because everybody has this classic look with their silver Age costume designs uh Darwin Cook clearly has a very specific style that he's shading for the fact that the story takes place in the sixties or the fifties it makes the story kind of work in a time capsule in a sense, you know, like you can pick this up twenty years from now and look at it. And understand that it's setting kind of adds to the tone and helps give context to to the work itself mm-hmm. whereas I think if i mean if you compare it to a, a random superhero comic that's published in uh two thousand four, I think you can pick something like I don't know why I keep thinking of the ultimates, but you could pick up something like the ultimates and be like it's a little bit dated, just in the sense that the kinds of uh, references
1: and and things like that that are in the book. I mean, Shannon Elizabeth didn't become a, a groundbreaking <laughs> icon like you know the the quintessential Hollywood starlet in 2022 that we thought she would. <laughs> Who is Shannon Elizabeth? I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> I still remember who Shannon Friends Jr. is. (laughs) There's a philosophical question for you. Uh,
0: What's a philosophical question?
1: Who is Shannon Elizabeth? His (laughs) name was Henry Paulson. His name was Henry Paulson. Was it Henry or was it Robert? Oh, whatever. I don't even remember his name. uh, his name was Robert Paulson. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man.
0: Now I got to look up that scene again. That, that's too funny, man. It's a funny scene. its
1: I, I don't know so, if it was intended to be funny, but it's... Uh, yeah. Did you have any other thoughts on uh, withstand the test of time ability?
0: No. I think I'm just going to rest easy in the confidence i have knowing that this is a comic that i'll be able to pick up and enjoy and appreciate yeah as long as
1: i have the eyes to read yeah actually i I, there was one thing i forgot to mention as you were talking about it one one thought that did occur to me which was uh, you're right when you said that the fact that this is darwin cook doing a period piece in the 60s it it doesn't date it because it's not him interpreting what the future will look like. Uh, It's him doing his take on the sixties. Right. Mm -hmm. And the, the great thing about it is, you know, his style is so fresh and unique for, for, uh, for what it is that when he did this, he, he sort of cracked the mold in terms of what a retro uh, in terms of how a retro 60s comic could look, uh, not 60s, but retro comic could look if you apply it through a modern filter with modern sensibilities, right? Mm-hmm. To to the point where it makes me wonder, like, moving forward, uh, anytime they do a comic that takes place in this era, in this period of time for these superheroes, I can't help but compare it to Darwin Cook. And... Who's going to be the one that breaks the mold? That's how much of uh, a trendsetter his work is. Uh, that's how much of a trendsetter he was. Yeah. Uh, it's this question of, you know, if if, if you ask a poll, like, again, I, this is an official poll. I don't know what the, I, I assume it's safe to say that most people would, would look to this as, yeah, this is how you draw the 60 or the the 40 the 40s in 2022 or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. And it isn't until that next person comes along who finds a way to reinterpret it in such a fresh way that you finally crack that ceiling or crack that wall or whatever, right? Right. So, so yeah, it's just another uh, way that you can tell that this book is going to withstand the test of time because it's just... I think for years to come this is it, it's it's funny to think um yeah for, let me finish my thought but for years to come this is going to be the standard for like what a what a retro comic looks like and it's i'm thinking about it right now but it's kind of funny so uh, you know we we've had millennials uh we've had we've had gen xers we've had millennials we've had uh, uh baby boomers uh we have the centennials now and then uh i i just heard this recently but the next group is called gen alpha okay so those are but it it's gonna be i'm sitting here thinking about what is it gonna be like when some gen alpha kid grows up and he takes takes a whack at trying to draw a retro comic you know what is that gonna (laughs) look like yeah i i wonder like somewhere out there, there's a kid who's going to grow up and he's going to do comics. And it, it might not be a thing where I, I might be told by then and my sensibilities will just be like, ah, oh, this, ain't, this ain't for me. But it'll crack the mold for someone. And like, there'll be a young version of me and Drew out there who are like, this has broken the mold. This is what retro comics are going to look like. This was the way <laughs> to contemporize them for modern audiences,
0: you know? Now I'm just picturing somebody in the year 2050 deciding to do his take on 90s comics. Yeah, yeah. Somebody well, we... is going to do a retro version of Spawn, and it's just <laughs> going to look like somebody who was born in 19, or someone who was born in, like, 2030 is going to do a comic drawn in the style of the 1990s.
1: well but the thing is i i think we're we're kind of at that period where we're already seeing retro stuff from that period that's true Uh, people who are
0: about our age are doing stuff like
1: that michael fife i i I think it's you can make the argument that he's doing his version of uh what he envisions 90s comics to look like and yeah yeah it's a lot of 80s
0: influence a lot of 80s influence in his comics too though
1: yeah yeah Absolutely. Heck, uh Tom Shioli. Uh yeah, Tom Scioli or um uh, what's it called Ed Piscore. Like it's it's there, man. It's out there.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um yeah, so before we move on from this, I, I, I wanted to ask you one thing. Um I wanted to know, right? Uh so so we've mentioned already there were a bunch of different Stories going on in this comic, there's a bunch of different vignettes, and I just want to know was there any one particular story that you know moved you or that you uh latched onto any more than the other stories like what was there a favorite for you uh, somewhere out there?
0: Yeah, that's a good question because I think the previous times I've read the story, my favorite bits and my favorite characters were different characters than this time around because
2: oh that's interesting you
0: you already know i had a lot of love for that wonder woman scene and i i still really like what cook does with wonder woman throughout the entire book i think it's one of the better depictions we've ever had of wonder woman uh and in the past i've also enjoyed seeing the stuff with uh hal jordan especially uh like Maybe not as much the stuff in the middle, but I I really liked a lot of the stuff in the beginning and a lot of the stuff towards the end with Hal Jordan. Uh, Even though Batman's not in the book very much, I remember when I was younger, I did really like every Batman scene that he did have because I just felt like they were great. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a couple of scenes with Slam Bradley, who's this old detective character that darwin cook has an affinity for it's funny because slam bradley is this character who appeared in the very first issue of detective comics number one so you know he existed before batman uh but he wasn't really like he was pretty much a forgotten character until ed Brubaker and darwin cook uh did did a catwoman series together Mm -hmm. And and I think you can see that Cook had enough love for Slam Bradley to include him in in New Frontier. Yeah. Yeah. So, like the handful of scenes that he had, I really enjoyed too. But this time around, I think by far my favorite character was Martian Manhunter.
1: Yeah. He had a great story.
0: Yeah. His whole story of, you know, the basic origin of him being pulled to earth unexpectedly and then being trapped with no way back. And then all of a sudden he's got to acclimate himself. So he does it by watching TV, watching cartoons. Yeah. uh, And, and he just picks up language and slang from, from detective television shows and becomes an actual detective. And for the Gotham city police department, you know, like there's, there's definitely something, uh, innately noble about his character that really shines through because he wants to he wants to help people um but there's also something incredibly human about his character because he's also afraid of being hurt and rejected so he keeps Mm. these secrets to himself even the people that he works and trusts closely he doesn't trust them enough to tell them that he's a martian Uh, yeah and yeah like that whole his whole character arc is is pretty fascinating and compelling and even a little bit moving towards the end when he, uh he gets captured by King Faraday they have that scene and there's a couple of scenes where they have these conversations and Martian Manhunter through his telepathy he recognizes that King Faraday Faraday is a good man, like his heart is in the right place. He has good intentions for humanity, but mm-hmm. the way he goes about those intentions, like he's not somebody who trusts other people. So certainly, he's gonna rub other people the wrong way too. And he doesn't trust the Martian Manhunter because he's afraid of the unknown on some level. Like that whole thing where, uh, at the end, uh, Faraday sacrifices his life to. To save John Jones, and you know that that's a that's the moment that gives John this uh, I don't know just this added boost to keep on going. It's it's good stuff, man. Like this mm-hmm. whole thing uh, up to the point where he meets uh, King Faraday where is you know that that's great. It's you know he was about to leave Earth and try to escape. Back to his home planet because he lost faith in humanity and then having this encounter with the guy who was trying to arrest him ended up giving it ended up restoring his faith in humanity i think there's something mm. about that story that works as kind of this microcosm of optimism for the new frontier as a whole
2: yeah yeah
1: i totally see that
0: thematically and tonally it's just mm, perfect
1: yeah, I I do remember really liking his story then and this time it's it's still a pretty good story. Uh, you know he's uh, even though he's not the central character of it, like I would say if anyone's looking for, you know, the best Martian Manhunter story, this is probably up there. You know. Um, yeah. Yeah. What do you he think
0: he, is the central character if there is one? Would it be Hal? It it kind of feels uh, to me that Hal is the one who's in the book the most. Like we I keep on that. checking in on him periodically throughout the series, but you watch him ultimately grow up. yeah, ultimately I feel like it's it's still more of an ensemble cast, but yeah. I feel like Cook wisely puts uh the big three kind of in the background so that these other characters yeah. all have a chance to shine.
1: Yeah. Actually, it's funny that you should say that. I, rem- I remember the first time I read it, one of the things that I really did like about it <laughs> that stuck with me even then was that I liked the fact fact that the story ends with Superman, Superman not being this, the hero that saves them all. Yeah, he's sleeping with the fishes. Yeah, I think a lot of the times, uh, especially with the big three, Uh, there's this impulse to tell this story where superman inspires us all and we all become heroes and you know follow in his example you know oh captain my captain (laughs) where (laughs) where will you go you know it's that sort of thing right and to tell this story and to have him like get knocked out in the first scene of the battle and just kind of disappear like he still did his job though yeah, yeah, but it, but it surprised me at the time. You didn't deal that, the knockout blow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It surprised me at the time, but it, for them to, you know, subvert my expectations and to have it really be about everybody else uh working as a team to it that says something about you know, this idea of again this optimism, this belief that we as a society can choose to do better together, you know? And it says something about how, you know, it's all of them that make this thing special.
0: Yeah. I mean, Batman isn't even in the final battle. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't
1: formulate a plan to take down the bad guy. Yeah. And Aquaman just shows up like literally at the end to save Superman. (laughs)
0: Poor Aquaman. He still
1: gets the short. I know at least Batman
0: was able to, you know, find the information through the stuff with, uh, Martian Manhunter's notes to really help yeah. make a difference. He just didn't have yeah. a physical role in the final battle. Yeah, yeah.
1: I think for me, one of the stories that really resonated with me, or not resonate but that that I just, I guess, resonated is the right word. But I felt most strong for other than Martian Manhunter. And, and by the way, I'm, I should mention that just the idea that Martian Manhunter as an outsider, just having being this uh perspective on humans and like learning to love humans in spite of themselves and maybe even loving them more than he should that is a beautiful (laughs) touch yeah (laughs) uh but i was gonna say the the story of john henry was something that uh kind of stuck out to me um it stuck out to me then but it's something that stuck out to me now too Mm -hmm. um yeah because he's i don't know if he's based on an existing character or or not uh if, from if what i know just...
0: in reading the annotations he's not based on an existing character but he's actually based mm-hmm. on steel because i think the way cook was looking at it the uh, dc in the 60s was very homogenous in terms of just being all pretty much all mm-hmm. white men superheroes you know and you know that's not re- really reflective of america itself and he was still yeah. trying to do a story about america so and it's uh, hard he, to ignore that. Yeah, he thought retroactively he could come up with this character. And, and that's why, like, if you noticed uh, in the epilogue of the series, there's like this little kid who's who's uh, looking uh, at at like a magazine or something about John Henry. And that little kid yeah. is supposed to be John Henry Steel. Irons, you know? He's yeah. the one who grows yeah. up to become Steel.
1: I like that touch. Yeah. I do. Yeah. Yeah. But his whole uh, the thing about, uh, you know, John Henry is, you know, his family was murdered by the Klan and he takes it upon himself to become a vigilante striking back at the Klan. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he, he terrorizes them for a period of time until he's finally caught and um and they kill him. And it's pretty tragic. But that was a
0: pretty messed up scene.
1: It really was cuz what ends up happening is he gets into an altercation with them and he's on the run and he's you know he's bleeding out and he he makes it to this backyard and he's he there's this little girl there and you know a little in white girl a little white girl and in the you know in the uh in the caption bubbles or squares he's talking about how he's talking about children and the, how children are the future and like in this moment he you know he thinks that this girl can be the one who saves him in his moment of need, and it ends with that one thought. And there's this pause, and she just, she basically yells out the N word and says that they're all that he's over here. And you know, it's the moment that you know that uh, he's done for. You know, yeah. and there's something especially disheartening about the fact, like, for a story that looks at how bright the future is to see a child who is the symbol of the future uh you know as the one that's that you know signifies his end you know then it's this idea that for all of our hope and change and progress uh you know there's still these seeds of Discontent and hatred that are going to be out there—they don't disappear—and and it's like you said that moment at the end where the little uh, you know young version of John Henry Irons is reading that newspaper, and that that's the thing—that's the glimmer of hope that says that, but in spite of it, you know, we the seeds for progress still exist out there, and and I I think that's a wonderful message to to still. that that, that's totally in line with his overall message of um the new frontier
0: yeah totally and i also just uh flipped through the pages and i checked the panel john henry irons is uh reading a comic book and he's sitting next to the gravestone for john henry
1: yeah 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 it's a pretty it i don't think it got nearly as much uh you know screen time as, as a lot of the other stories but it's memorable it's it's something that really did stick with me in my reading of it at the time yeah do you have any recommendations for people who would enjoy this comic drew uh,
0: well overall i would say that this is an evergreen story uh before i get into my recommendations i was gonna say that the new frontiers is, is just one of those evergreen comics that Anyone can pick up without knowing anything much about d c comics as a whole or anything specific that's going on and and that makes it an easy thing to to recommend to people but if I were to recommend something to someone who just read the new frontier, probably uh, start with other Darwin cook comics and my favorite comics from him are probably his Catwoman comics that he drew uh, with Ed Brubaker as the writer. He only did uh, about the first four issues as well as like a series of backups in Detective Comics, but if you get the first trade paperback of Catwoman by Brubaker, uh, you'll get Cook's story in there as well. But he also did an original graphic novel starring Catwoman called Selina's Big Score, and Cook wrote and drew that one himself as well. That one is a more of a heist comic, whereas the Catwoman book with Brubaker is more of a crime comic, a straight-up street crime comic. But Selina's Big Score is a heist comic, like that very specific genre. It's an mm-hmm. enjoyable piece of work. Uh, there's also his Parker books, which we've mentioned, which are adaptations of the Donald Westlake novels. Uh, they're hard-boiled crime stories. Uh, We also mentioned Batman Ego earlier. Uh, Listen to our episode on The Batman for a little bit more discussion on that comic. Mm -hmm. One of his more obscure works is his issue of Solo. He did Solo issue number five. So if you can track that one down, that's a good one because it's got a wide variety of styles and he wrote all the stories in it. It's 48 pages. There's several stories in here that run the gamut of different art styles so you'll see things that look very different from what you see in the new frontier there's also a story uh, that kind of takes place i don't know if it's officially a new frontier story but there is a story with king faraday uh, in solo number five so that's Mm. uh you know that could be of interest He also did a comic with Gilbert Hernandez as the writer called The Twilight Children. I think that might have been his last work, actually. It was published by Vertigo, short four-issue miniseries that mixes a little bit of science fiction and magical realism, and Mm. yeah, it's got kids in it, so you might dig it, Albert.
1: (laughs) Maybe, maybe. (laughs) Yeah. Um before i go into my recommendation uh i i, I did want to go over one funny little easter egg that i read because i um after the series there was an another they did some specials i think there was uh, one special the- yeah they right, yeah. to coincide with the release of
0: justice league the new frontier movie they yeah. uh had darwin cook come in and do a one-shot called justice league the new frontier special yeah so he he wrote Andrew one of the stories in there, and then he wrote two other stories. One of them was drawn by Dave Bullock and Michael Cho. Uh, Dave Bullock yeah. was the director of the movie. And then Michael Cho's, you know, he's a famous cover artist now, but he inked Dave, Dave Bullock. And then there mm-hmm. was a third story uh, with Jay Bone, who was one of Cook's uh, collaborators and a lot of other stuff that they've done together.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's the story I kind of wanted to talk about. It's uh it's something that I read and it made me chuckle a little bit. Um and cuz it's a story sto- starring uh, Wonder Woman and Black Canary. Yeah. And it's it's a pretty funny story because it's about them infiltrating this club of like secret men, but it turns out to be a gentleman's club, so they're just all here to ogle these naked women or whatever. And it's just about Wonder Woman and uh, Black Canary just beating the crap out of all these guys. And at one point, uh, this one of the dudes throws a drink at her chest plate and sets it on fire and she just pulls it off. So she's just fighting, you know, topless and beating the crap out of these guys. And, uh, you know, talking about, uh, you know, basically making statements about men and uh, society and, you know, just... Their behavior and how they treat women, and this was something that I saw that just made me kind of chuckle. But at the end of the the panel, at the very bottom, you see the uh, this you know the the Playboy bunnies or strippers or whatever you want to call them, and they're watching as Wonder Woman and Black Canary leave. And one of them is just like, "What are you writing there, Gloria?" And you know it's a little, and she's just winking at the the reader and it's it's kind of funny you know for for people that went and believed that Darwin Cook didn't have certain beliefs or thoughts, like I'm pretty sure that was supposed to be Gloria Steinem, a pretty famous feminist, so <laughs> you know it's uh, like I'm pretty sure her real backstory was used to prior to making it as as uh, you know a, a famous like writer and feminist. She she used to work at at a gentleman's club. So oh, okay. I, I thought that was a pretty funny uh detail to include for you know historical detail for people that didn't know.
0: You've educated me. I I didn't catch that reference.
1: Yeah, she's she's a pretty pretty big name uh in, in those circles. But uh yeah, the the one comic that I would recommend for people who read this and who want something similar. The one comic that immediately jumped to mind for me was uh, Marvels by Alex Ross and Kurt Busiek. Oh, okay. It's another story that sort of that recontextualizes uh, an existing history of the Marvel universe this time, but it injects, uh, you know, we, we, we did an episode on this in our top 25 uh, Marvel comics of all time so you can listen to you know my thoughts on my, mine and Drew's thoughts on that comic but i do think it's another comic that just uh you know in, uh, recontextualizes uh the time period and just people's uh perspectives on society as a whole uh so i do think it's it's similar to to new frontier in that sense mm-hmm. yeah
0: I do have two more uh, recommendations for people who might be interested in era spanning DC superhero comics because this because DC the new frontier is about that transition period between the golden age and the silver age you know and it's primarily about the birth of the silver age there's also a comic called the golden age by James Robinson and Paul Smith and that one's a bit darker but Obviously, it's about the Golden Age period uh, of heroes. But uh, I think it's a good chance to see a lot of characters that might be a little bit more obscure get some love. And again, it's like a big spanning kind of epic story. And the other yeah. one I would point to is Kingdom Come, which is which was a 90s comic. And it has a lot to say. It, there's a lot of commentary in there about 90s comics and i'd say uh i guess there was a point in time when i would have said that kingdom come represented the modern era of dc but now i guess it's probably more accurate to say it represented you know
1: the 90s modern era. era at that time yeah exactly <laughs> i don't i
0: don't know if there's an official name for that era because it's hard for me to believe that we've been in the modern era of comics for 30 something years or however long it's been like might be like the, me the dark
1: ages to me the, <laughs> i don't know
0: yeah to me i consider the 90s the dark age of comics so yeah <laughs> kingdom come definitely is representative of the dark age but it's still a surprisingly optimistic piece of work
1: yeah yeah all right those are some good comics we got there uh next week we're gonna do love and rockets specifically heartbreak soup and maggie the mechanic um I, I, where is uh, well, we'll go over the creators then, but it's <laughs> the Hernandez brothers, man. It's okay. Well, I didn't remember their first names. Jaime Hernandez and I I forget it's, who the first Jaime one. and Gilbert. Gilbert, there we go. Yeah. Okay. So there we go. So that's what we're going to discuss next week. If you're listening to us on whatever platform you're listening to us on, you know, please uh, give us a high rating. It helps us out and, you know, recommends us to other people. If you want to talk to us or hit us up with any questions or recommendations of your own, please do. You can hit us up on our Twitter at Between the Gutters or you can email us at Between the Gutters podcast at com, or, you know, hit us up on our Instagram. Please feel free to follow us on any of those right
2: all right
0: that was our talk on dc the new frontier you know what i just thought what's darwin that? cook the new frontier
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> i That's like what the that DC stands for i like
1: that <laughs> i like that a lot they should they should totally do that just immortalize it <laughs> yeah
0: thanks for listening everybody catch you next time peace take care guys